Welcome to the Magic Hours Podcast, the podcast where we discuss art, pop culture, and spirituality. I'm your host, Zoe Flowers, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get into the show. Welcome, welcome back to the Magic Hours. I am Zoe Flowers, and today I have the pleasure of talking to a longtime sibling of mine, Ron Reagan. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about Ron. So Ron is a researcher, a strategist, an organizer, a coach, an interdisciplinary artist. He sustains a vibrant performance and creative writing practice rooted in music of the African diaspora. So, you know, that's interesting, Ron, because we met at Alternate Roots, which was an artistic an activism based, you know, organization. And I remember you singing. I don't know if you remember that when you all did that piece and you had your Afro at the time and it was all dark and y'all were harmonizing. Wow. I don't, I'm like, so many things have happened at Roots. Was that when we did this like ritual piece with all these different elements? I think so. Cause there was a screen, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And y'all were yeah, yeah. and y'all were doing all of that. So musical healing, when I think about healing, I always think about you in that. And so also improvisation and cultivation of spiritual technologies. He's ever curious about the role of sound. Look at that. <laughs> and the unamplified human voice in particular in transforming our environment, ourselves and each other. Alongside his creative work, Ron partners with artists, organizations and grant making institutions to help them move in deeper alignment with their values, goals and principles. For nearly a decade, he worked in the field of arts and cultural philanthropy with program officer posts at the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. He currently serves as the director of the MAP Funds SPA program, which offers coaching and gathering opportunities to artists. Ron makes a mean red velvet cake, can throw down on some biscuits and makes home in New Orleans. So yes, thank you so much for being here. Yes, yes. I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. So, of course, you know, we have your bio and that gives us an overview of who you are. But I'd love to hear from you about how you feel you move through the world. Mm. Well, I have this mug today that a former roommate left to me. It says Dreamer. Okay. Oh. Cheers to that. So I love that. Um, I moved through the world. I hope with a lot of intention. Mm. And part of what I intend is to um, <laughs> practice being as loving and compassionate to myself as possible. Mm. That that has been a big and I think for for me um, as my bio might indicate a lot of the work that I've been doing is for, on behalf of others through these institutional forms um, these institutional bureaucracies in many instances yeah. um, and I think that I also am really interested in holding space for other people or co-creating space for kinds of creative explorations and for making things together. So that's been a lot of my artistic practice too. I rarely work alone. I rarely do things alone. Um, so the self-compassion tip um, has been like, how can I extend that same sweetness and warmth that I like to share with others to myself? And that's been a big part of the journey as of late and how I'm trying to show up in the world. And I think there's something important about holding myself sacred in those ways that also um, creates some space for imagining and dreaming other possibilities uh, for those who witness me in that practice. 
Um, which, you know, it's very in vogue these days, but it often looks like a no, I'm not going to do that practice. Yeah. It's sort of like, a, actually, here's what I'm down to do, not necessarily what you just requested. Um, and uh, really, really seeing the power in that uh, of publicly advocating for oneself in these sort of like small and everyday ways uh, that I'm just like the question I'm sitting with these days is how can I invite and when I'm presented with a I don't know set of decisions a set of possibilities one of the factors that I consider is like which one has the most ease which path invites the most so that's that's a that's a big orientation right now. Yeah. Um, particularly in a world that feels uh, peculiarly harsh and uh, trying. Yeah, that's right. You said that. Now, yes, absolutely. Yes. So, so um, it's so funny you say that. Um, looking for the things that are going to bring you the most ease, and also declining certain things and uplifting things that you really want to do. And I actually did that with a friend of mine uh, recently. And I find myself having the confidence to do that more and more. How, how did you arrive at this place of holding yourself sacred and honoring your yes, especially in a world that would have us believe that we should say yes to everything, right? Rise and grind and hustle and all of those things. There's always the pressure um, hmm. to do that. But how how did you arrive at the place of holding yourself sacred? Well, you know some of this because we've known each other for such a long time. <laughs> you got to act like that's true. That's true. That's true. No, no, no. But it's good. It's good. It's good. It's true. You know, I'm just, just saying like, um, you know, so, so please feel free to ask me for more details because I might, you know, be like you, cause you know about, I know, I know, I know it's true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, for those who, those who don't know, it's always been, uh, like, yeah, very much a, a big sibling to me and, um, helped me really do some of this work. And I think a big part of it is I, my body was just like, no, my body said no first. Um, the physical inability to say yes is the thing that first wow. to the path of least resistance mm. as a mantra mm. in many instances. It doesn't always have to be that way. There's space for force. There's space for effort. There's space for making a way. And yet to be in that mode all the time and to, and I think particularly given some of the institutions that you just named and the quality of you know being this like black person who gets yeah you know, enough cred to step into some of these spaces of white supremacy and be in those rooms and at those tables those mythical tables of power you know there that's that's a lot of effort every day it's yeah. a, a very privileged and also like very trying energetically, spiritually, politically fraught space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my body was just like, nah, bro, we're not doing that anymore. So mm -hmm. I just started to get sick. Um, and those, those illnesses took on a lot of different, uh, very unpredictable forms, um, to a point where I, I had to leave a job. And um, I could have stayed. I probably would have died. Mm. I've been in a position where um, my health was permanently impaired in a significant way. And so I'm grateful to the spirits, my mother, friends like you, who were just like, uh, yeah, it's time to go. You need to come correct with yourself. You need to be in integrity with what you know you need, which is not, not this. And part of the call in that transformation was, was to shift my practice 
in terms of how I'm spending the majority of my working time and energy um, toward creative pursuits, toward the spiritual work that I know I'm here to do, which is very much um, co-constituting with my creative practice. So yeah, yeah. That, was, that was the first, that was the first thing. And it was, as I look back, really, there had always been these signs, you mm. know, like the body speaks gently and then speaks more loudly as the spirit. And for me, those two things happen very much together. Spirit speaks to me through my body's physical experiences. So, you know, if I suddenly get ringing in my ears, I'm like, oh, something I need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm like walking out my house and my bag gets snagged on the doorknob, I'm like, what did I forget to do before I left the house? You know, so um, little things, little things like stubbing my toe, right? Um, I'm just like, okay, I need to move more slowly. I'm not paying attention. So um, that has been, as I look back, a refrain in terms of the call toward toward ease, yeah. the call toward self-compassion as first step yeah I love that I love that intentional ease and intentional slowness again because it is just and hopefully we're going there hopefully we're going there as a society um I definitely hear more people talking about ease obviously since the past two years that we've had. What has the response from others been when you make these declarations? Because sometimes we're afraid to make declarations because we're afraid of the responses. So mm -hmm. moving towards ease, what has been the response that you've received, if any? Yeah. Well, I think here is where I'm able to really see how privilege works. Like, mm. I think there's something about, for sure, being a, a cis man in patriarchy uh, in the context that we live in, where like I, I, I get to make declarations as default, right? Like, I think that's real. I've been wow. that, right? I, I think there are ways in which I, I don't get challenged where yeah. people of other gender presentations and identities might. I think that's very much operating in my service. Um, wow. I think that I, you know, I went to a fancy undergraduate program at Stanford. You know, I've got degrees in institutional affiliations that are fairly elite right. that um, allow me to say this is what I want and people will listen. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I got Mercury and Leo, so I can talk. <laughs> um, but but no, um, yeah, all those things. I, I think there 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 are ways that you know I'm I'm very financially stable through a lot of planning and intention over the years, and you know, access to resources that yeah. I've been afforded, and. A big part of my ability to say no is rooted in the fact that I'm not struggling for basic survival purposes. Yeah. And that's been intentional on my part. Um, you know, I've always lived well below my means, uh, in part because I could, and in part because I was like, I need to be able to be like, no, at whatever point <laughs> I need to say no. And so now being a self-employed person and having been so for the last almost seven years now. Wow. Um, and I get to I get to choose what I do. Yeah. I get to choose what I do. I get to choose who I work with. And I get to set terms around those engagements, um, which are imperfect. There's negotiations, there's humans being human. So, you know, there's always ebb and flow and imperfection and compromise, but I can be clear about what my non-negotiables are. You know, mm -hmm. I don't work before noon. I don't. 
I'm not going to be in a meeting. This call was at noon, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't do meetings on Wednesdays or Fridays, you know, uh, I don't work at all on Fridays. I, I try not to have more than a 20 hour work week. And I work with people I like. <laughs> I love people and some of the people I love, I don't want to work with. So, yeah. and I like people that I don't necessarily love in the same way that I love others, but yeah. I work with people I like. That's yeah. a big part of it. I work with people I respect. I work with people I can have these kind of conversations with. Um, and I work in spaces that feel nourishing. I think so much of the work of racial capitalism as we've experienced in this U.S. context is as, is becoming increasingly talked about, like rooted in extraction. Yeah, right? for sure. Uh, you know, a, a black body is, is merely a body to be bought, sold, and exhausted, and then you just get another one. That's you right. You breed another one. That's right. right. That's and right. so I'm, I, there's a resounding no in my spirit to those kinds of dynamics. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk a lot about generational healing. I've had these kinds of conflicts with, with my grandfather lovingly, where he's like, you know, he basically, he ain't say this, but he's basically like, you're really entitled, you know? <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, I am. I am. And you should right. be. You're right. I am. And I know that's different than what you experienced, you know, being born in the 1920s mm-hmm. in Georgia, in Perry, Georgia, where I grew up. Um, yeah. And, and so we inhabit those spaces differently. We inhabit our bodies differently. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, the, the arts yeah. and the, the bureaucracies of philanthropy and the nonprofit sector that surrounds that form of arts and cultural production in this country are very much rooted in extraction. Like I've been a part of multiple artistic processes too, where like that was the orientation. We have to be exhausted or we're not doing the work, you know? And so I think coming out of that orientation and shifting, there have definitely been some sticky conversations you know, inside of creative practice, which is again, for me, usually collective and collaborative devised, you know, we don't know what we're doing. We're just figuring it out together. Um, uh, but also in my, in my work. And so I think, I think people find it refreshing mm. and affirming to themselves when they see someone moving with clarity in these ways, as I try to, um, but there can be challenges when that means that they don't get what they want. Mm. And not to be flip about it, but I think there's something important about inhabiting myself in such a way that people know that I will leave if things are not um, mutually beneficial. Yeah. If things are not in alignment for me, I will go. And I will do that in as respectful and um, communicative and open a way as I can. And with space for curiosity and listening. Um, But, but, you know, yeah. I think most people who work with me know that I always feel empowered to leave if I need to, to transition. And I think that's really important. Also on the converse that like I actively choose to be there, right? There's mm-hmm. not like a I have to do this or I feel obligated to do that or like right. debt or guilt orientation toward the engagement. It's like I'm here out of desire and alignment. And I want to be able to show up to all ideally, but at least most yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of yeah, yeah. my relationships and like projects and engagements with that level of um presence and were you always i'm curious about younger ron oh (laughs) um were you did you always have a sense of groundedness or rootedness you know when you were a younger child did you want to be an artist that's my first question oh 
Baby Ron was a singer for sure. Yeah. I loved to sing. Um, been connecting with this child a lot more recently, in part because um, I had really bad acid reflux last year and it damaged my vocal cords and Ooh. my throat quite a bit. And so I'm in a long process of vocal repair. Okay. Right so there's some work to be done with with him and his energy and spirit. But yeah, um, I'd say the, the youngest version of me that I can recall and that I've heard stories about was very much love, love to sing. Uh, the story that I know best is, um, and I do think I have some memories of this that aren't just from stories that people told me. Okay. But I really loved Smooth Operator. It was my favorite song. Um, at, that was my first favorite song, I think, with Smooth Operator. And it was Smooth Operator. Yes, time I can say it. But um, yeah, I would be in my car seat, like just jamming, rocking out. Like that was that was the song that everybody was like, "Oh, this child loves to sing." Wow. So um, yeah, singing, sound making, being in communion in that way was a big part of Baby Ron's life. Um, and I don't, I was very, and still am, as a child, like very anti being famous. That never like resonated with me. My, my parents were like, I did, I did audition for Star Search back in the okay. day. This and is I why got, I love this podcast. I did not know this. <laughs> I did not, I love this. I auditioned for Star Search, I think it was seven. And uh, I got to the, I did the videotape, you know, you send in the tape and then yeah. they, they call you back in the day when people called each other. Yes. So I got the like call and we were living in New Jersey at the time. And so we drove to New York City and I had my first like ever audition audition for anything. But um, I was so, so nervous. I had never performed for anyone but my family. That was before we had started going to church. So I'd okay. really never done anything for a stranger. I'd never okay. sung in front of a stranger. So okay. I, I didn't do um, particularly well at my audition. <laughs> but um, wow. so that I, don't, I wouldn't actually take that as an, like the necessary precondition for what I'm about to say. But okay. I, was, I was never like necessarily doing it for fame or like the desire to make it a job. It was something that just innately animated my life. And so that being said, I did have this strong sense when I was a kid that I didn't want to be famous. And so my, my parents, I think like, just didn't push me in any way to audition or like be out. And I just like to sing at home. I would perform for my family. That was fun. I love Bobby Brown. Don't be cruel, that album. So Little yeah. Ron had no rhythm. I don't know where it came from, but he finally found it. But like Little Ron was like spinning, like very in circles in front of the fireplace, not on the beat or on his own beat, it was not in relationship at all to what was happening on the speakers. <laughs> oh, mercy. There are videos. Oh, well, shoot. Interesting. But um, yeah, so I think, you know, I, I think I'd always thought about art in a community context, right? Like I really, early on, for like out of desire or fear, I'm not sure, both a little bit, um, to, to just be in circle with people. That's, yeah. where I, that's where I loved it. And once we did circle in a church, once we moved to Georgia when I was nine, um, that that was like, oh, okay. This congregational singing is where I really get, yeah. get my sense of um, communion. Yeah. Um, and I think it was in the pews that things started to make sense in terms of how I wanted to be in vocal community. Mm. Uh, I was never like, oh, I need a solo. Mm. <laughs> I, I was often given solos because people mm. like this little one can sing, but that was never. I just love being in the choir. I love being in the tenor section. What have you? Yeah. Um, and harm. So, so that's that's the. Those are the artistic roots, and I think that's been the the through line really for all of my creative work vocally centered or otherwise has been oh what can we make together yeah what can we what can we make together and yeah. how can that feel really nourishing 
what we're making. Um, so yeah, should, should I answer the, did you want to follow up on anything or should I talk about the groundedness? Talk about the groundedness and then we're going to talk about spirituality since we've gone down this conversation right. about the pews and then we'll, we'll delve uh, into mm -hmm. spirituality. Yeah. Um, I think the youngest version of me was very grounded in relationships. I, I try to ask people for stories like in the last five years or so, I've just been like, can you tell, like, what do you remember about me as a kid? Yeah. Like as the youngest possible, like what was, was the core of what I was bringing energetically? Like, yeah. who was I? What was this little person offering? And so what I've learned is that I was very excitable. Like I was very like calm, but then I get like very excited about things that I was very excited about. Okay. I really loved Fraggle Rock, um, which was this, like, you know, the show. Yes. yes. On the whatever the public station was. Yeah. Yeah. And um, if the song, if the song from Fraggle Rock came on and I was anywhere, like, I could hear it in the house, I'd like run toward the TV and then I like, get so excited, just like run around the coffee table because Fraggle Rock was on. I was like sing, and I would get so excited. Sometimes I would pee in my pants. Oh my god. So. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so I very excitable, oh, but sure. also like very calm. Um, yeah. as a default, like very, very down to like, entertain myself. Yeah. But, um, interested in sharing everything I had with people. So like, if like people would come to the house, I'd like take them to my room and I would want to show them my toys and I would want them to like play with me and like, I don't know, whatever games I was making up at the time. Um, so there's, I, I think that I had like some like balanced polarities that I yeah. was working along the spectrums. Um, yeah. So like generosity, coming, wanting to be with people, also wanting to be alone. Yeah. Very calm, but also very excitable. Like, and yeah, that all feels like, feels right. Like could perform, but also just happy not being in front of everybody all the time, you know? Yeah. So I think there's like a, yeah, balanceness that yeah. I um, I also feel resonates with my current understanding of what I need. That I I have to like find the equilibrium. Sort yeah, of the, one of the spiritual calls, which is like that. very much in my chart. My chart is like everything is aspected. Everything yeah. is like boom. Well, that's <laughs> so. what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about your um your Libra placements and your seventh house placement? Oh, uh, Saturn and Pluto conjunct in my second house in Libra. Really? It's a lot. Understanding what that means, but oh, yeah. Saturn and Pluto conjunct in Libra. Well, no, that makes, that makes so much sense with the balance piece, and it's so interesting that you brought up my favorite planet, Saturn, because you know that he went direct, I mean, went retrograde yesterday and will be retrograde until October 22nd. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that makes sense, that limitation on now I'm with you, now I'm with myself, I'm going internal, I'm being very Pluto, like, being okay with the mysteries and things like that and the depths of things on your own and then sharing when it makes sense. I yes. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Conjunction. It's, it feels, it feels, feels right. It feels yeah. so good. Yeah. So, and yeah. seventh house is Pisces. Pisces in the seventh. My moon is there. So. Yeah. I love it. Tinder. Yeah. Tinder. Tinder yes. dreamer. Yes. Right. And visionary <laughs> and psychic, hmm. you know, oh, yeah. all those things, all those things, all the feels, the yeah. collective shows up somatically for me very intensely too right that all makes sense going back yeah. to the earlier comment about illness and whatnot needless to say it's been a very interesting time for me 
unprecedented in my body knowledge. Mm. So, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because but I'd say the, the groundedness shifted like with puberty and queerness and being in the rural South. And then it became like a whole other thing where I was, I was very not grounded um, and felt very unmoored uh, in a lot of ways um, from any sort of sensibility, particularly with my body, like very alienated from, from it. Um, yeah. And so that's been a long process of coming back to myself after, you know, a really challenging, like second half of childhood, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, Bible Belt, very conservative um, community. And yeah, just went into hiding was basically my experience uh, mm -hmm. during that time from others and from myself. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say what has been consistent and what, what held me down were trees. I grew up in a forest and on a non-working farm that last nine years of my life. Really just go walk around in the forest and like sing to the trees, to the loblolly pine trees. Mm. And you know, I had to cut the grass in the summers almost every weekend. So I'd just be on my riding with my disc man, which is a terrible combination of things. It's like, how do I be on the riding lawnmower with this thing that can skip all the time? I developed some sort of system. I don't oh, know. right. Yeah. Um, how would you keep that still? <laughs> it was terrible. It was terrible. Um, but I somehow made it work. And um, yeah, just sing, sing loudly to the trees. That was the grounding that I had as uh, second half of my childhood. Do you feel like that singing to the trees was the emergence of your now spiritual, I don't even want to call it a practice because it's the way we embody life. So do you feel like it was the beginning of your embodiment as a spiritual being? I don't think it was the beginning of my embodiment, but I do think that it was a important paradigm shift. Hmm. I think that I've joked sometimes that like, trees were my only friends for a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was true. It was a joke that was, had a core of truth. As many mm -hmm. jokes do. As most do, yeah. I, what I there was understanding that a non-human world as um, and dynamic and the academic term that's coming to me is essential, right? <laughs> What what say having it again? Personality, having will, having power, having an ability to interact with me. Agential. And that was mm -hmm. agential. Agential. Agency. Yes. Yeah. Um yes. I so so I think what I, I was like, these entities, I can be in communication with this environment and the individual entities that I can recognize inside of it. I had this yeah. very clear sense that I was in communion like in church, but in this case with the trees mm -hmm. and whatever else could hear the sound of my voice that I, that I was vibrating with. So it was very change that was like, oh, I'm in a relationship with these other beings. Mm. And I, I don't think it's, I think it's noteworthy that I like not beyond getting mosquito bites, which like you're going to get them. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't get mosquito bites because they're in such communion with the mosquitoes mm -hmm. that they can just be like, do not bite me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there yet, but whatever I was giving, I never, I never, I never got hurt. 
Like, in, in Georgia, everything is poisonous. Like, yeah. maybe not everything. Yeah. There are so many things that can cause you harm. Biting mm -hmm. flies and mosquitoes are the only things that I think ever caused me any level of harm, and that was fairly mild. Mm -hmm. I never got poison ivy or poison oak, never encountered it that I didn't see first and we like respectfully like went other, other ways, like wild boars, bears. We got all kinds of shit that can cause you harm. Alligators, water moccasins, like just like it's poison, death, <laughs> maybe. Everywhere. everywhere. It's possible every day I walk around those woods. But my sisters and I, um, I have two younger sisters, like we never got hurt, never got a like nothing. I so know. there is something about being in communion and conversation with the land, with the yeah. water, the air in this place where my family had been stewarding land for all these generations that felt like very much uh, sustaining. Yeah. And also transformed my relationship to life yeah beyond my own self beyond humans so that feels like the important i love that i love that yeah i love that and when you think about your spiritual walk now what are some of the, the things that you want to share about that I think a deep reverence for this planet mm. and the cosmos and all beings feels like the core of my spiritual practice. Um, I treat every divine how does that shift the way that I move in the world? Mm -hmm. um, big part of my spiritual practice now is silence, which I've gotten a lot of experience of uh, living alone um, yeah. for most of this pandemic now too. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something about a call toward stillness that I'm a very kinetic person. I want to be in motion most of the time. Um, singing, dancing, moving, running around, twirling, like I just, a dervish. Mm -hmm. um, but increasingly really embracing the the practice of stillness not just meditation per se all the variations of finding moments of stillness yeah and for me what that's about is then affording the ability to listen so i think listening is a big part of my spiritual practice as well which connects a lot to the creative work that i and honestly miss I miss singing with people that is one of the most challenging aspects of the pandemic for me is that I feel the core of my creative practice is very inaccessible to me yeah um, I've started to sing more with people outdoors which is lovely and great okay okay sitting around a fire pit yesterday with a guitar and singing with people so it's nice to find some some more pathways but um listening is such a big part of singing and singing with others in particular so that feels like an essential connecting practice that that links the spiritual and creative for me in a very fundamental way it's also a big part of poetry writing which i've reconnected with in part because it's something i can do 
wow. well without other people. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I really hate writing in part because it requires me to sit still. I, I just dislike the practice and yeah. no matter like how much dictation or other ways yeah. I can try to like me too. document text at some point you like gotta, or at least I feel I need to put it down on virtual or physical paper. Yes. And I just really dislike sitting still. So a big part of stillness is also like making space for writing. Um, but yeah, um, those things. Um, and I think my spiritual practice is also very much about being with people, mm. like honoring all the different kinds of entities and, um, beings, I, like human beings, there's something in particular that's important to me about finding ways forward together, like supporting and sustaining and collective liberatory practice together that feels spiritual to what I deem spiritual manifesting. Um, I think it's really important to, yeah, find ways and to dream with people. It's a part of my mm. spiritual practice. Um, and you know, I've got my tools. Um, you know, I'm part of a, a Lukumi spiritual house, so there are those frameworks around things. Oh, we haven't had that conversation. Well, that we sure haven't. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I have, I have my ex and I have my, my prayers that I've cultivated over all of these years. I've got my altars in my house, one of which is here behind me. Mm -hmm. You know, I have um sort of frameworks and technologies and legacies of practice and uh stewarding and i don't know something when you asked me the question it felt important to sort of think about what holds all of those pieces together what undergirds yeah before no i love this what um decks are you using right now I have the I Ching Oracle deck that okay. I first encountered with you. Yes. Which is just wonderful. Okay. When I when I need a, a certain kind of clear poetic word, that's where I go. Mm-hmm. That's where I go. Um, so I've been really loving that. I, I don't know, when was, when was like three or four years? You and I? Probably. Like, yeah, well, that you told me. I, I think you read that deck with me. Um, We've pulled from it multiple times. It was probably like 2019 that I got I my I think own. so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I have the to Onyx deck. Yes. For Thoreau. Yes. Yeah. And you're yeah, using so, it now? Yeah. Are you using it now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think when I first told you about it, because I got that deck and the I Ching deck, I think. This yeah. But, um. The Dust to Onyx deck, I, I really just sat with it for six months. Right. And just studied each of the cards. I just looked at it. But I started using it wow. actively. Actually, it was 2020. It ah. was actually on the cusp of the 2019-2020 New Year that I pulled from it for the first time. What an auspicious moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm actively, I'm actively using it. Yeah. Wow. It's... I do find that I need at least a year sitting with it. When you gifted it to me, I started using it right away and um, very quickly realized that this was not a deck that I should use with other people. <laughs> mm. Like this is my deck. It's right over there. It's on my, on my uh, altar over there. And there's so much to that deck. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's an entity. Talk about entities. Yeah, that is a it's powerful. That's why when I when I got it, because it was also <laughs> used, I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, I need to I just need to sit with this thing. And I think the um the guidebook, I'm trying mm -hmm. to remember the, the sister's name who made it. What's her name? Oh, mm. 
It's it's escaping me right now. Forgive me, beautiful being who made this deck. Same. But um, the guidebook really suggested like sitting with the deck first. It didn't say for how long, but it said you know sit with the cards, like you might with any other deck. But this I felt like felt like a a room of requirement. Yeah. And so I took my time, and yeah. that felt really good. Yeah. Me. I started following her on YouTube. So um, her name, I just looked it up real quick, is um, Courtney Alexander. So for yes, Courtney you know, Alexander, thank you. For a deck, um, you know, or for for want to support, um, you know, a melanated tarot reader and creator um, again. And if you want to learn history, I mean, it's all mm-hmm. in that deck, and it's stunning. Yeah. 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 It's it's gorgeous. It's art. Each yeah, card and it's is art. just it's, yeah. 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 So yeah, I've been using those to um <clears throat> check in. Mm-hmm. They're a way of checking in. Mm-hmm. I don't pull all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not like uh every week. You know, they have their positions in my spiritual space. And today, today's the day I need to pull a card. That just came through last yeah. night, actually. That um, today I'm gonna need to go, or tomorrow at that time. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's really good. It's been really powerful to, you know, have these other access points. Right. And in communion. Um, and you know, with the etheric. Yeah. Yeah. very important and do you have any artistic projects or engagements that you want to talk about at this time that you're creating yeah i am working on a few things i don't yet know how they're going to show up in the world okay but um some things that come to mind. I'm planning on having a book-length poetry manuscript by the end of this year, which I'm really excited about. Nice. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it, but uh-huh. there will be enough poems to fill a book. So uh-huh. that is a goal. So I don't know. Stay on the lookout for that. Yes. Um, I am excited about a project that I've been doing now. This will be the third year in motion and Mm. it's inspired by general black august celebrations if you don't know about black august and honoring black political prisoners and freedom movements for those who are watching this please do look it up um but really inspired by uh mama nia and spirit house's work with the black august 575 haiku writing practice in 2020 i was pursuing that practice for the first time with a group of black folks who are affiliated with song southerners on new ground uh, queer organizing organization in the south yeah and so we were in that preparing for that and i was like i want to write but you know how i feel about writing so it's like (laughs) (laughs) i also i want to write these haiku because that's beautiful and short i can do that and i also want to what but i want to make little dances too I was like, I want to make little freedom dances. So I reached out to a bunch of friends who are performing artists, movers, black folks, particularly, and asked for prompts. And I created a collective score um, with like these like really dope people. I was really grateful. Um, so it's, I think, 22 people, 40 prompts. Um, it's a living document that's still available on the internet and um, linked in my Instagram um bio and yeah it i i did a i made a small dance every day and recorded it and posted it on instagram wow and invited others into parallel practice with me that first year it was much more a solo thing with a few people coming in here and there and then in 2021 there was a small group of people comprised of folks who had contributed prompts to that initial document and we went through the month together with these weekly check-ins 
And so from that, I'm really excited. Uh, a vision came for a piece that I'm excited to make. Um, I'm collaborating with Kara Lynch, who is one of my friends and collaborators in making that initial document in 2020. Um, and we're calling it Black Flight Experience. But mm -hmm. Kara offered me this beautiful prompt uh, inspired by a book called The Sovereignty of Quiet, which mm -hmm. is written by um, a scholar named Kevin Kwashi. And um, in The Sovereignty of Quiet, Kevin Kwashi is asking, like, what is blackness outside of its like public performativity, right? Like, what is what is black interiority? What is blackness that isn't about protest or isn't about these public displays? What is blackness as we inhabit it in ways that may well be invisible to others? And so it's a really provocative question. And in reflecting on that, Kara asked me to, in the prompt, three times during that first go in 2020, in the month of August, to yield to the earth lying on the ground and then yield until I was like, floating with my hands above my head, as extended mm. as I could get. And it was a beautiful practice. I loved it. I loved the, the question of how to yield to air as a being with weight. Um, mm. And I found it creatively very stimulating and also like theoretically really, really interesting. And so we're taking those prompts and crafting a series of public performance pieces of black interiority, which are not quite performances um, that I'm really excited about. Imagine black people in a field on these beautiful quilts, mm. just rising and falling with a harpist in the middle of the field who's like swaddled in a giant, some sort of flowing cape or skirt of fabric. That's, that's, that's basically like the seed of the vision that I have for this piece and that Kara has been so generous to collaborate with me and thinking about and dreaming about. So those are some, got a series of uh, pieces of tenderness and black masculinities that uh, started to uh, perform one as a solo, one as a duet and one as a trio um, that are always on my mind. I'm just, not sure how I'm going to do that in COVID times yet. And uh, yeah, other other things. I, I made a talk show in 2020 because I didn't know what to do with myself. And uh, I want to um, create a zine based on all the learning and the generous offerings people shared about their approaches to dreaming in times of collapse. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's a lot percolating. And yeah. I think the most important thing for me, as I say all of that to you, that I make space yeah, because it feels important to share these things again, even as the world falls down. Yes. Maybe because the world is falling down. Yes. Great. Do you want to get into the reading? <sighs> yeah. Let's do it. Um, okay. Let's go. All right, let's do it. Let's get into it. Now, do you want to <clears throat> do that collective or do we want to just do an overall theme, overall message? We have lots of cards. We can go in many different directions. My question is, I would love to know what we collectively need to be paying attention to okay. in the week ahead. Oh, okay, in the week ahead. All right, so let's take a deep breath in. Exhaling out. understanding that this is really good. That's a good question, Ron, because this is going to be a timeless reading so that whenever people find it, it will make sense for them. Mm. Okay. Because mm -hmm. 
be never knowing. But I, but I like this. I like this. Okay. First, we go to the African rising goddesses. What do we collectively need to be paying attention to for the week ahead? For the week ahead. Wow. That's really interesting because this is a word that I don't... Wow. I, I'm also looking for the book as I'm saying this. Um, okay. We have resistance. Uh, and it is card number 22. It is Gang Gang Sarah or Gang Gang Sarah. But I'm saying Gang Gang because it's African Rising. So I love that it is master number 22. Right off of the bat, I'm feeling like, and for me, the reason why I don't resonate with the resistance and the whole idea of that is because I do believe what you resist persists. So, and also, it came out. So clearly, this makes me think about Saturn, actually, and the way Saturn refines us and shapes us and molds us is because of the limitation that is put on us. And it is because of the push and pull and the resistance. So, okay, spirit, I see you resistance has its place. I see you. Okay. So the way that this deck is set up is that each one of these goddesses has a temple and an element that it, that it correlates to. So Gang Gang Sarah is from Tobago. And she is one of the shadow goddesses. And so they have all of the other temples and then they have the illumination cards. So it's almost like this is a, like a major arcana, even though this is an oracle deck, this would be thought of because it's an illumination. And so it says the shadows, the shadows represent your greatest fears. Oh, I get it. I get it. Your greatest fears and the dark feminine with ominous creatures and monster goddesses of the African diaspora. The secret of the shadow self is that so-called monsters often have our greatest gifts. Their energy vibrates to iridescent white. So these goddesses also resonate to the chakras. So for me, this is resisting. If we're going to resist anything, it is, you know, she's got many different hands here. She's got... Um, cotton in one hand she is growing from a tree she has coconuts at her feet so there is abundance here and so for me it's almost like turning away from your fears not letting your fears become other things there's sunlight here there's moon here there's peaches here there's all types of mm. fruits and beautiful flowers and also planets mm. at the top um one i think is uranus and the other one, is that Jupiter? But let me see what this says. Shadow goddess Gangang Sarah, the witch of the Golden Lane, blew into Tobago on a determined breeze from West Africa to emancipate her family. Her shadow guidance. You are scared that you are going to mess it all up. You may have stumbled, but this is a new day. Learn to show up for yourself. I love this as guidance for the week. What a great question. What a great question. We have not messed it all up. We may be stumbling as a collective, but this is a new day. Learn to show up for yourself. Embodiment. You ghost your own dreams and resist your own magic. Stop holding back worrying and pretending to seek perfection that will never come when it comes to you stepping into your greatness resistance keeps you stuck resistance mm. blocks growth creativity and evolution resistance may look like procrastination laziness disorganization excuses or a lack of motivation but there are deeper forces at play you are resisting the force you really are Goddess declaration. Mm. This is me. I show up. I love this. 
I love this for the mm. week. This is a new deck for me, so some of them I don't know. So I love when I'm like surprised. <laughs> resisting our own selves. In what ways are we resisting our own selves? Mm. Our own dreams. Mm-hmm. <sighs> when there's that, so that takes me back to the beginning of our conversation where I was talking ease and flow. Yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. can't really see all of the things here because the green gets messed up with the camera. It blurs everything, but she is in a tree. These are mm -hmm. roots around her. So it's interesting that we also talked about you and the trees and here uh -huh. the trees are showing up. Mm. Lots of shadow. So. Yeah, so I yes, love indeed. that. So there's we have three cards though so we have the goddesses and then we're just going to the tarot for the week what a great question oh my gosh oh what a great answer ah yes yes yep so resisting and then this and this showing up for people as constantly trying to battle we have the two of pentacles here so constantly weighing things, constantly what feels like this to me is micromanaging the universe and not trusting. Mm -hmm. So we also have that two of pentacles, no, and then the ancestors. Okay, we're going to the ancestors. Ah, and we have the earth again, more trees, of course. Earth magic, nature, rituals, and charms. Again, lots of green. So, um, so this would be a good week to go out in nature to do some earthbound magic. Um, maybe some water rituals would be hmm. in order this week, even though we are in. Gemini, which is technically we would do air rituals, but that's fine because Earth is showing up and Saturn rules Capricorn, which is Earth. So again, if we need to be more grounded this week, going out in nature, laying on the dirt, as you were saying before, but also engaging in some type of water ritual or making some kind of charm because it also says charms here. What I love about this particular deck, it is an ancestor deck, so it gives the region that this um, mm. knowledge is actually coming from. And so, but I don't think I have, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to, but I've pulled this before. Oh, I know this, I know this. This is the Druids. That's right, because I pulled this with, Cap with Catherine. Um, and so this is the Druids. So this is the so interesting how similar these are we have mm -hmm. the knowledge from the druids and the knowledge from africa here and so there is definitely again something about earth nature trees this week and so that is the guidance that is the guidance come mm -hmm. out of this two of pentacles this weighing things back and forth this worrying about Again, earthly things, because pentacles is about material things. And mm -hmm. go out and do some ritual. And that is what I have. So, so good. Yes. So, Ron, before we go, one last question. What would you like your legacy to be? Oh, my God. <laughs> hmm. What a powerful question. I would like my legacy to be that I built structure that live on in the physical
emotional and spiritual lives of those I leave behind. Mm. I'll say to and that. And may those be stewarded in the way that they were created, which is collectively. I'll share to that. I'll share, I'll share, I'll share. Love that. And how can people find you? You can find me on Instagram underscore CTOS, V O X underscore S I T as in Tom A S. And check out my website, which needs to be updated. Who doesn't need to update the website? Um, at ronreagan.com for a little bit more information about some of my ongoing projects. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you again for being on the show. This was very illuminating. Thank you for having me. Such a treat. Yes, very much a treat. So, folks, I know that you enjoyed this. Please follow Ron's work. You know, support the work, spread the word, do all the things. I'm Zoe Flowers, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Uh -huh.